Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking to founding partner at Elite Performance Partners, David Slemon. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So I am absolutely genuinely, genuinely excited to get this episode out there. I, f- I first met David back in 2016, 2017, when he just set up his search recruitment business, Elite Performance Partners. And since then, I've been wanting to get him on the podcast and get his take on the industry from the employer slash recruitment side. So such interesting information in this. I wanted to get out of David what the industry and what recruiters, employers really want from practitioners, especially at that mid-level, so that strength and conditioning coach, head strength and conditioning coach, but also higher up the directors of. So it's really interesting this episode and we dive into loads of different things from how COVID's affected uh, elite sport and the, the recruitment of practitioners, but also why practitioners do get paid what they get paid, which is a very public discussion, as we all know. And also some inside information of where recruiters go as a way to rule people out. Hint social media, hint Twitter. People go there and we talk about social media, the impact of social media and how it can negatively and sometimes positively, but certainly negatively affect the thinking of a recruiter when they're making these crucial decisions. So really interesting episode coming up with David, which I'm sure you'll love. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Hawking Dynamics, the world's first wireless force plate testing system. So the Hawking Dynamics system is built around what coaches want so they can test in the real world and not just in the lab. So you're able to capture reliable data on all athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor progress from their cloud-based system from anywhere in the world. So as I've mentioned, the Hawking Dynamics force plates are wireless, which means they're portable, and they're also trusted by teams at a number of different levels in a number of different sports. So integrating force plates into your athlete monitoring system uh, could not be easier and more affordable. So if you want to get to know a little bit more about Hawking Dynamics or actually see their plates in action, Head over to the website, uh, which is hawkingdynamics.com, um, which you can I mean, you can also schedule a demo, and follow them on Twitter at hawkingdynamics. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by I Measure You. So used by leading sports practitioners and biomechanics researchers worldwide to capture and compare multi-limb inertial data in the field. IMU Step from I Measure You is a dual sensor and app lower limb load monitoring tool which helps practitioners optimize return to play for running based sports. So I Measure You have just released their new and improved waterproof sensor Blue Trident which includes ultra high G capabilities to quantify high impact steps such as cutting, landing and sprinting, longer battery life to collect data all day, real-time feedback to aid immediate interventions and faster workflow so practitioners can review long training sessions within minutes of training completion. I Measure You, now part of Vicon, works with military, pro and collegiate coaches and athletes from around the world, including the Australian Institute of Sport, US Department of Defense and collegiate and pro teams from around the world. If you want to get to know more about I Measure You, 
head over to the website imeasureyou.com or follow them on Twitter or Instagram at imeasureyou. So without further ado, over to the episode with David Slemon. Thanks for tuning in to the Pace Performance Podcast this evening. I'm delighted to welcome Dave Slemon. So welcome to the podcast, mate. Thank you very much. Nice to see you. Thank you very much for coming on. Thank you very much. It's good. Uh, it's good to finally catch up on video. And I stopped been stalking you for a, a couple of weeks. Had a little <laughs> chat on the phone a few weeks ago, but I appreciate you coming on, and giving up some of your evening. So, anyone that doesn't know who you are, you just want to give us a bit of a run through your background, which I know is is, is interesting, uh, education wise, and what you're currently doing now. Yeah, sure. So, I guess if I start with the business and then kind of work back from maybe how it started. So uh, I'm the founding partner of a company called Elite Performance Partners. And we started out as a search and selection firm in elite sport. So placing um, hopefully a lot of the type of people that you know you've, you get on your podcast. Prior to setting up that business, I'd worked for four years in a search firm uh, outside of sport. It was called Miramar. They're brilliant guys uh, across energy and chemical sectors. Um, but prior to that, I played rugby professionally. So Grew up in Liverpool, uh, would have loved to have been a better footballer, but wasn't. So moved into rugby, played professionally for 10 or 12 years, scrapping around, getting contracts, but, you know, hung in there, as a lot of people do. And then coming out of that, moved into into search. Uh, you know, as everybody, as a lot of ex-athletes, not knowing what they want to do next or not knowing what's possible. Um, I wouldn't say I fell into search. I did give it a fair bit of thought uh, after a couple of years of um transitioning out from playing semi-professionally and then ended up, as I say, um, founding this company and uh, that was seven years ago. So yeah. So when you say rugby, rugby union, you mean? Yeah. Rugby union, yeah. 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 I mean, I'm, I say I'm from the Northwest, so I do still like rugby league. So uh, never played it apart from occasionally on uh, when I played at Oral. So we're in Wigan. So, you know, we'd yeah. normally warm up with a game of rugby league, which suddenly would get very physical very quickly. It's uh, quite good fun. <laughs> <laughs> and when you yeah. say search... People yes. would sometimes term that as recruitment. Yeah, absolutely. Is yeah. that is that a, is recruitment a dirty word, which is why you use search? No, not just, at all. Okay. No, it's just okay. habit. It's just habit. I yeah. think there are different types of recruitment, and we probably bridge the gap between. Uh, you know, you have if you go from players. You know, we don't represent players. In fact, we don't represent anybody. The whole point is that uh, there is an agent mentality still in sport to a degree. In fact, I saw one of the questions was around that. Yeah. And, um, Nicely teed up to that. Um, and so, and there is kind of contingent recruitment, which would be success only. You maybe put it out to a few people and whoever places the candidate will get the role. The way search works, which would be more kind of executive search headhunting, whereby you'll work with a, um, with a club, with an organization, you'll help develop a brief or you'll be given, you know, we want this. Uh, and then you'll go away and, you know, map the market, present a short list of four to six candidates against a certain criteria. Um, and so you're basically tapping people on the shoulder who aren't looking as well as the people who are. Because, you know, 20 to 30% of the people are actively looking and some of the roles will be advertised, um, but quite a few won't. Tend to be the more senior people that won't, but a, a big part of what we really enjoy is that, you know, if we say call them mid-level roles, so not just the most senior roles, um, is finding the right, right cultural fit for organizations and the, and the people out there who maybe deserve a chance sometimes. So, yeah, so, I mean, headhunting, search, recruitment's fine. Um, selection, I say search and selection because we've moved into recruiting coaches. and Technical on, coaches, you mean? Yeah, so yep. we, you know, we place 
football coaches. So uh, with the FA, the likes of Phil Neville, Steve Cooper at Swansea City, those sorts of roles. We've got a partnership with 21st Club um, for data analytics. So putting together the subjective and objective information. And that is more a case of aligning people within clubs uh, who might say they want one thing, but are actually meaning very different things. So, but that selection, because, you know, in those two examples, there's actually a book <laughs> on who's going to be next. So most of the candidates are known, um, but we will actually be that independent view to go, what, what do you actually want and why? And what does success look like for you? So um, the business has grown from being search and selection to realizing that actually every recruitment role is not an isolation. There's a piece before it about making sure you do know or have agreed on what success looks like, what's the gap to get there, who's in the building already. We've talked ourselves out of work quite a bit. <laughs> so like, you realize he's really good. <laughs> you, don't, you don't need to go and find somebody else, just promote him or put support around that person. Um, and then at the other side, the third part of our business is recognizing that you know no one's more than 80% fit against a brief and everyone can develop. And so we've got kind of a leadership development piece to our business to make sure that that support's given to. When you say there's a book and people know what's coming next, is that from a, from a, that's probably a head, like a head coach job? People have a successor and a successor after that, depending no. on the the plan of the club. No, no I mean, I mean, I I just mean more. In some roles, we might. So the FA would be a good example. You might go. We want um, very specifically somebody who's got a certain breadth of experience who has done X, Y, and Z, who's culturally come from this sort of environment. And sometimes when we say cultural fit, it might be the exact opposite of what's there. So cultural ads often a better phrase, um, but that's a search because they don't know what they don't know. They're, they're happy mm-hmm. to to, um, to be surprised, you know, and, to, and you're kind of sometimes playing devil's advocate. If there's five criteria on a brief, um, not everybody, 80%, we say, is because nobody typically is more than four out of five. Excuse me. There's normally one that they're not as strong up, and that's okay. And as you go through things, it goes from being a hypothetical situation to, oh, this is a real, these are real people. Look, oh, they're human beings. They're fallible. They make mistakes, you know? Um, and so the point about the head coach piece, typically head coaches, is that they're well-known. Um, and within certain sports, they maybe play the game particularly well. Um, so experience would be overvalued it's very hard to get a first role um people very rarely you know diversity is a big thing isn't it at the moment and the fact is you can't you know if you're going people overvalue experience therefore you're never going to get diverse candidates if they've never been given a chance further down the line so to hire for diversity you have to hire for potential and i think the way we go about that and the criteria-based approach hopefully allows that but typically for head coaches people know most people and people have a view and it's just about unpicking it sometimes to go, why do you think that? Oh, no, we, you know, and so that's kind of, and that's where 21st Club's really good. So oh, it might be, oh, they, they, they play a lot of young players and we go, well, they don't. <laughs> they don't. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Or yeah. they play a really attacking style or like, well, they don't on the whole. So um, it's just giving a bit more information and um, hopefully having that information in an objective way. So, I mean, it's never, it's never objective really, you know, everyone has their biases, but I think 
people get hijacked by their emotions a lot when it comes to the senior coaching role. So that's why we separate the two. So search is, you know, you're allowed to go out there, you map a market, you're a bit more open, where a selection would be, more people would be would be known. And it's just fine-tuning exactly what, what you need and actually what you need on the wider team and the support around it because it's not it's never about one person. Um, and the sooner you can realise that, the better, really. A hero leader is, is very prevalent. Uh, football, but it's happening in rugby. It happens in most sports, actually. That's interesting that clubs get tagged with, or they bring they bring youth players through. They're this type of team, this type of club. Yeah. When you have to put a reasonable amount of objectivity to it, and you're like, that's a tag they had ten years ago, and it's still running on. Things have changed. Like they've had seven managers since then. Yeah. Lots, lots changed in the club. So yeah. That's but also, but also to that with the, with a coach is is they may have played youth players, but why? You see, you still have to interview them based on the metrics that you have because the data alone doesn't give you all the answers. So we've had some examples where, oh, this guy looks like he's he has played a lot of youth players, and I was going to say who it is, but it's like, yeah, well, I didn't, I, I didn't want to. We didn't have any, <laughs> we didn't have any cash. We had no choice. Yeah. We had to play the academy guys. And you're like, oh right. So if you were going into this environment now, you wouldn't play. The academy players, you don't have a development mindset. Your coaching philosophy is more almost win at all costs as opposed to um, how it appeared. And so that nuance is quite important. And, and people change and people need to be allowed to as well. You can you can uh, pigeonhole people wrongly. And the best part of our job on the recruitment piece is, is when somebody does surprise you or when you go, do you know what? I thought they were going to be this and they're not, they're that. And it's like brilliant. And then when somebody else agrees, you know, that's a, that's a good moment. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, th- I think it's, and like I said to you before, and this is not just saying this because you, you're here and we're speaking now, but I've been really looking forward to this because it's, a, it's an interesting area for me personally. And I think what is great to have, reason to have you on is you come in from the other side, you've got input from and, and knowledge of what the what clubs do want from a performance support roles rather yeah. than probably my side and the practitioner side going, yeah, clubs don't understand this and managers don't understand that and you're coming from the other angle. Well, we do, we just we want this, this, and this, and you think we want this, this, this. So yeah. I think it'd be really interesting to, to get into this. But one thing, I, one thing I wanted to kick off with was something you spoke about recently about the uh, specialist, specialist generalist. I was going to say <laughs> the other way around then. Well, specialist, <laughs> yeah, the specialist generalist and the rise of that within mm. professional sport. Would yeah. you be able to give us a bit of a bit of a rundown on on your thoughts around that and why you think that may be the case? Yeah, sure. So. I guess how we would define a specialist generalist is somebody who you, know, you would typically have a uh, a specialist would be somebody who, as the name gives it away, really somebody who specialises in one specific thing, and then you might your kind of depth of experience will be in a specialism, and so the typical T-shaped person. So you'd have a breadth of softer skills and. That'll be more leadership skills and communication and those sorts of things. And then the depth will be in a specialism. So we, whether that's player monitoring, uh, GPS, a f- certain type of analysis, maybe a physio, that sort of thing. There's a recognition that, uh, and we can talk about how this, why this came about, because uh, it's really about getting the best out of the resources you have, uh, is suddenly going, well, there's now a need with smaller teams to uh, to be able to do more than one thing, to be able to lean in to a multidisciplinary team, to adapt and be agile. And what we're seeing is if you want to develop 
and there's two specific examples of kind of of where this works and where it can be seen as an obvious example is you can see analysts who are moving into coaching yes. and vice versa so coaches who can now code and can bring their own clips and some of the older guys you know it's a big moment I think of one club we work with who was super proud of their kind of 60 year old coach who cut some clips and it was horrible but it you know the fact that he'd done it was a big step and the fact he was willing to learn you know made such a big difference to the the analyst who was working with him you know and so there's it can work that way you can work analysts the other way and the snc and physio piece so we've recently hired a couple of physios and you they need to have an understanding and a coaching mindset so the idea that um you know you look at david epstein's book range there's a move towards kind of deep generalisms so and it's quite important for careers so instead of just focusing and getting more and more deep into an area academically maybe going you know master's phd not there's anything wrong with that jesus it's a great thing to be doing those things but just to recognize that that breadth of understanding of having a breadth of experience across departments if you want to move up to a leadership position is really important and i think it's really so yeah that's what we see in the market there's definitely a move towards it uh it's it's and i think it's also the big pieces around the education of specialism and generalism. And it's even quite derogatory the way it's called, as though, mm. you know, specialisms are special and generalisms almost everybody has. Whereas what we see in the best people, that is fundamentally completely wrong. So the specialist skills might be the thing, might be the skills that get you the minimum qualifications to be suitable for a role. But the general skills are the thing, are the leadership traits that you have either got or more likely developed that will separate you out from the, the rest of the candidates. And yeah, so I can go into that in a lot more detail and explain it out, but that, that's, um, that's where that kind of has come from over the past. Um, it's come through lockdown and through COVID, but it's, it's not really a COVID thing. It's just, well, it is because of the situation, but there's more to it than that. There's, I think it was a, a trend that was happening anyway. That's that's interesting because as soon as you started talking, then my head goes, "That's that's for a smaller club, that's for a smaller club." But you're seeing that happening in bigger clubs as well. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, we are. Uh, okay. uh, not not that, and this isn't undervaluing specialists and not saying they're not important. We are seeing teams more open to using consultants as opposed to having people full time. So a slightly more fluid, agile way of doing things whereby, so we had a call with Mo Boba, the ECB, performance director of the ECB, and they were talking about going to the World Cup and they weren't going to be allowed to take that many people. So how, or not the normal size of their team. So how do you bring somebody in that you know is has a specialism that would be really valuable in the tournament? And how, you, how do you integrate them in? And how do you make sure that the team integrates them and that everyone's comfortable and you, you hit the ground running and you, you can go. So of course there are still bigger teams who don't need to specialize, sorry, who don't need this approach, but it's still irrespective of, of, of the current world situation. There is always a need to just look at what you're doing. And I think there's less acceptance of wastage now. If people are genuinely going, well, hold on, do we really need four analysts and five fit, you know, 
there is definitely people looking at that. So I, I think it's, and we've even had a situation where, you know, we run uh, leadership forums and we've had a senior person from a Premier League team who was really excited about the changes that were going to come because it was stuff that needed to happen. And then the Premier League money came in and it's like, I really hope we still do that because it that allows you to be not lazy. That's a, that's unfair, but maybe a bit complacent. So do you think the consensus is and it, that that person you mentioned there that support teams have got too big, especially at the top end and COVID and the obviously not a good situation globally, but within performance sport, that's making people look at what they've got and potentially a good excuse to to trim back and almost reassess what they do and they don't need. It's funny. It is an opportunity to do exactly that, but why aren't people doing that all the time? So you've always got to bet. You've always got to get the best out of the resources you have. And the way we look at every role that you have is a chance to take time. Well, whenever we work on a role, it's not okay. So right. Who, who Who's going to fit it? You've got to, take your time and it might sometimes feel like a luxury but it's absolutely not it's it's a time to go just take time to understand i guess a few things you know what do we all, who's in the building you know what skills and capabilities do we exist now in the building um what are the pieces that we don't have um that we may want or need and i guess that's both in the moment of looking at what's needed now in the sport, but it's also looking at what might be needed to win in six months, a year, three years, five years. It might, you know, if you look at the Olympic model of, you know, what it takes to win now compared to four years time will be different. So how do you, how do you do that? Team sports aren't quite, it's not such a natural process, I think for team sports, but it's equally applicable. How do you bridge the gap from now to, to the future? And then where did you get your inspiration from? So where you decide to look at other sports, geographies to get that thinking. Um, and the fact is, is that roles do move on. So hopefully people can develop. You know, I'm not saying that you should change people every year or two. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they, they people develop in the roles too. Squads change. Um, and so when we do it, we always look at the now, but we look at the future too. So what, what does success look like? What's the vision of where you want to get to? And then if you can align people to that, you suddenly get a much more kind of tighter and more considered brief um, to understand the kind of size and shape of the gap if you're looking at a person. But I think the challenge is why don't you people do this all the time? And, and hopefully COVID's, you know, it's not ideal, is it? But there's an understatement for you. But uh, it should allow people just to go take a moment. We should do this every time because it gives us an opportunity to audit our, audit some maybe not the best word, but it gives us just to, to reflect on where we are as a group and where we want to get to. Is it just a, a human thing that we add? And we, this is a bad thing to talk about something that, that's human, but we hoard stuff. We like to collect things. You know, all of a sudden, two members of staff becomes four, four becomes six, six becomes 10. You're like, how did this all happen? It's just, got, we got all yeah. got a little bit excited because we got promoted or yeah, yeah. We won, we won, we've got some investment or, mm. or whatever it may be without actually, like you say, considering the realities of what we actually need and, and where this is setting us up to go. Yeah. No, I, I think it's a, it's a really good point. And equally, you don't want to get too big if people then don't have enough to do. I mean, you'll always find things to do. You know, you'll always fill the gap. You know, if you've got a day to get something done, you've got a week, 
it'll, it'll take a week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so you got it's a very good point. And it, and it's not just a sport thing. You know, every industry that grows becomes more specialist. You look at the technology sector and specifically has grown exponentially. And so you now get very, very uh, specialist people in um, in technology broadly. And I think sports now at a moment where it's been growing and it's now obviously shrinking and people are ha- not being allowed to waste. And so, and I guess there's, you know, there's fewer roles. Therefore, the reasons why people have them excuse me, and what they're going to do in those roles has to be really scrutinized. Scrutinized is a harsh word, but it does have to be, okay, what are you actually going to do and what impact are you going to have on the athlete uh, or on the team or on the environment or on the culture? You've got to decide what your priorities are. I think teams are poor at that, you know, in terms of, okay, well, what what have we decided are the most important things for our club? And you can't prioritize everything because every team wants to win with the best players and pay them the least. You know, that's a given. Um Everybody wants to win, but it's not win at all costs because that's not really winning, is it? It's like Jack Nicholas. Um, and so you've just got, yeah, prioritizations are key for us in deciding, you know, what you want to be really good at. Yeah. Let's have a little chat around consultants because you mentioned it there. Yeah. So is is that a a strategy for some clubs to, yes, they are having to reduce the numbers of staff, whether that be now or seeing contracts out in the, in the near future, to go down the, that role? That, sorry, that route? It's really tough. I think it's tough on two sides. It's relatively, if you've got, it's hard to generalize actually because I'm, I'm suddenly thinking like three or four different sports who would do this differently. But if you have a performance director model or a director of football, director of rugby, somebody who is not the coach running a department, a room, you know, being involved in a performance department, this model, you've got somebody who's got the time to maybe develop a network of consultants who can really unpick the different performance functions, recognize what people you need there full time, recognize where the gaps are to get to where you want to get to. Um, and when you just need, I mean, nutrition would be one that not always would be one area, wouldn't it? That not, not always somebody's full time, although um, the behaviors you might need to change, you might need somebody in there a bit longer at first. Uh, similar with psychology. Um, I never quite understand why psychology would be a consultant and SNC or physios aren't. <laughs> I, I, um, never quite understand that model, but I think if you are a coach-led sport, which is still a lot, it's it's very difficult to to do this efficiently. Um, it's also equally hard on the other side if you move. And we know a lot of people, and I'm, a number have been on your podcast of people who've gone from being a practitioner to a manager of a team of, of something they've done to maybe a leader operating you know, technical director or kind of a head of performance managing a team of teams. So also managing the people who have expertise they don't have. And often people will pop out, salary being one reason, and there's an opportunity to do their own thing. But you suddenly have to run your own business. And it's a completely different skill. And it's a passion that you probably didn't have. You want, you probably were passionate about performance and about a sport and about health. I don't, you know, you don't want to generalize too much, but I I see people really struggling with with that because it's really hard for you might you know consultancy model is good but sport isn't necessarily that set up for it because how do you um, people might still go with their mates who they know you know um, but it is I think I, I do feel for people I think I I hope that there will be a model where people can earn more money doing it can get a diversity of experience across sport for their expertise so I think it's a good thing for a lot of people um, but it's a bit riskier. 
So, yeah, it's tough. Mm-hmm. One thing you've mentioned a couple of times there, and one thing we spoke on, on the phone about uh, the other week, was cultural fit. And you find me a PDF, which was part of the presentation, a part of the presentation that you get to leaders. And cultural fit was at the top. Cultural fit was identified as the most important thing when doing a search. Yeah, is that is that, is that right? Yeah. Uh- I don't want to say it's always the most important thing. Okay. It's, it's always what it's the only one that is always one of the five criteria that we'd use. So what we, the thing that I shared with you was we obviously had a lot of time in lockdown because um, we went from like 14 searches to zero in like a week. So <laughs> we, we spent a lot of time, my business partner, Anna and I sitting down and go, right, of all the searches we've ever done. And you know, there's, there's a lot because you go back a number of years, you know, a good couple of hundred. We're going, well, let, let's let's break down the criteria and see which, see if we can break them down into like distinct buckets. And so, and there was hundreds of different ones, but we realized that we could, we could break them down into nine, only nine. So of all the searches that we'd ever done, they only fitted into nine. And what's really, there's a, what's really interesting is that, and this is good, I guess, for you from practice, going from practitioner to leader is only three of them were involved with technical skill. There's only three that were technical um, and the other six were all more kind of leadership skills or capabilities. So that in itself is interesting where most people spend their education focusing on the technical piece and yet where they really need to spend it is on the other part. Um, But cultural fit is the one that we always put in because in the same way, as I said before, um, things can change and, organizations can change and the cultures within them and their values and and the people within them can change too you've got to all work cultural fit is just what's it like in that environment and what sort of people will thrive in it because you know it's really clear that you know you can transfer knowledge you can gain experience you can develop skills but you cannot thrive i believe in an organization where your values aren't shared or aligned you just can't and we've seen people go in and they know they're going into organizations that they don't quite fit with, but it's a good role, it's well paid. And they go in with their eyes open and it never lasts because it's just exhausting trying to be something you're not. And yeah, so that's the that's the cultural fit piece. So how so how do you gauge that in a in a search without getting to know these the, the, the potential candidates yeah. on a on a deeper level than the and what you're presented with when you're doing the search? I think it's a really good question about how do you, how much do you get to know somebody? How well can you get to know somebody in a short period of time? And I think there are ways that you can do it. And you, you don't, you have to speak to them more than a couple of times. Don't want to give all our tricks away, but there are no. <laughs> <laughs> there are definitely ways to do it, and there are there are ways of asking questions that can get to the heart of of somebody and what people are like. And you know, because we, if you look at say job descriptions, I have twenty five or thirty pieces to it, and you know, nobody in the world can ever do all of them, but they still are run that way. But and you also can't assess against that. So the reason we have five is that <clears throat> you can assess against five things. And you would ask questions that are directly um, fitted to those. So what we do, the, the other side of it is the brief that we write at the start is very clear as to what the values of the organization might be or what the culture is like and what they want in an organization, 
or what the hiring manager or the leaders there want in this person and or what type of, what type of traits they want what behaviors they like to see what standards they set and that's what we try and unpick um I, you know sometimes it's not always agreed you know it's kind of and also these are human beings so you know give them a break they're not not everybody's going to get this right every time but Everybody knows, you know, everyone goes on about the All Blacks and the No Dickheads rule, as if they're the only team in the world who has that. There isn't a team who doesn't, really. There might be teams who give a bit of flexibility to the better players, and that's the reality of it. And maybe the better people, which they arguably shouldn't. But yeah, well, you, can, you can assess against cultural fit, because it's about behaviours, it's about standards, it's about, you know, to what we were talking about at the start, it's about the people a bit more deeply. And... It, the, the secret is is to get them to tell stories about themselves because that is how you do it you know because the stories that you tell yourself tend to be the person that you become and I think you know if you had to ask one question to somebody you know I got asked this recently which is why it's front of mind is that somebody said if you could ask only one question of somebody in an interview that would give you the best feel for somebody what would you ask and I gave it a lot of thought and the question I'd ask is like just tell me what it was like growing up because don't want to get too Freudian on it, but the fact is, is that people then start telling stories about themselves, thinking about themselves as a child, and it is unbelievably telling about what somebody is like and where they've ended up. Fascinating. So when you mentioned about the, the technical skills, being only three out of the nine, if you were doing a search for a... I don't know how you term it, but lower end practitioner rather than the medium level, higher level, would that technical go up in terms of what your, you know, the influence that it has on that position? Or are you just looking at the technical as a, not to sound too simplistic with this, but you're ticking the box in terms of the technical, but it, the, what you're actually searching for is the person and the other, the other six things. Yeah. It- it might, I, I think if you look at the roles that we do, and we would tend to do the more senior ones, we do do, I really enjoy the mid-level ones, as I say. The, the, the ones what would be mid-level? Mid-level? mid-level would be kind of, a, say, an S&C coach at a club or a senior S&C coach, not a, not a head of function. So the one below, so a practitioner, somebody working on the ground, you know, in the trenches, that, that would be not an entry-level position on the whole because – they don't get paid enough to pay a fee to a search firm is the is the honest answer and also you can get if you advertise there are so many people who might be doing it you're still going to have to do the work to filter them uh and arguably it makes as much sense to do it to, to use a search firm at that point because there's so many people who could be right and it's the softer skills that you, you're looking for and it's the leadership traits or the the things that aren't as obvious on cvs uh but the reality of cost means that often uh, and for both sides as well, as much as we would love to do that, we're not a charity, so <laughs> we've still got to no. actually run the business. And I think it's just not cost-effective too, as much as um, we do like to do as much of that as we can. Um, and, and I think to your point, there would tend to be, if you're looking at, the, say, the, the, the senior roles, and there's still kind of minimum qualifications that you've got to get on to be on a long list. But to then get on the short list, it will be – often some quite specific things. So the two physio roles we did recently were there was there was a technical skill because there was a, a, a gap in kind of neck and shoulder 
rehab they didn't have, which is kind of, so that was one of them. It wasn't absolutely the most important thing, but it was one of the five. And then you had kind of coaching philosophy. So the mindset they needed to, how they looked at S&C and how they looked at rehab was that the, the club did it in a very specific, well, not very specific, but they had a they had a club philosophy. And if you didn't align with that, it would be very difficult to fit there. And so what, what we do quite a lot of is we tend to go to people blind. So we don't tell them the role. We don't tell them the club because we want to know what the people would really love to do, you know, because we want to know what the truth is. Because if you go with... I don't know, if you'd use football as an example, if you went and said, I work for Man City or I work for Liverpool or whoever it might be, people will start maybe telling you what they think somebody who works at Manchester City should be. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's quite an often unconscious, sometimes really not, um, thing to do. And so we just go, we want to make sure it fits for you. And so we just ask, you know, what's your ambition, what you want to do? And then if it sounds like this could be a good fit, that's when we then t- tell you who it is. Um, because... Yeah, so that, that's kind of the approach. Don't know if that actually answers the question, but... Uh... <laughs> no, no, it does. Yeah, it does. So we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with David. Hope you're enjoying part one. So over in part two, we discuss the reasons why performance coaches may get paid what they get paid. So is it supply versus demand? Is it lack of understanding of administration? new profession, lack of chat status, etc, etc, etc. So a really, really interesting way to kick off part two. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Output Sport, a Swiss army knife for optimising off-field performance. So Output Sports have developed a one-stop portable tool for comprehensive, valid and reliable athlete assessment. So for the first time ever, you can access metrics such as jump height, barbell velocity, Nordics and speed agility, all with the single wearable sensor. So Output brings unparalleled efficiency to athlete testing to allow sports organisations, performance centres, teams and athletes to make data-driven decisions. So this technology has originated from eight years of research and co-developed with over 40 sporting partners across the globe. You can learn more about Output on OutputSports.com or follow them on social media at OutputSports where you can also schedule a demo. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by AthleteMonitoring.com, the world's most comprehensive, versatile and cost-effective athlete health and performance management platform for elite sports. So AthleteMonitoring.com is trusted by top development programs, universities, professional teams, Olympic programs, national sports organizations and research institutes worldwide. It streamlines data collection, centralizes the management of wellness, training and performance, medical and testing and administrative data. It also simplifies the interpretation with best practice analytics and evidence-based methods to optimize performance and reduce injury risk. So with all these features on a single platform, AthleteMonitoring.com seamlessly brings key stakeholders together to build healthier athletes, more efficient organizations and long-lasting successes. To see what AthleteMonitoring.com can do for you, visit AthleteMonitoring.com and schedule a free demo or follow them on Twitter at Athlete Monitor. This episode is also sponsored by Omega Wave, which is the only non-invasive at rest technology on the market that analyzes readiness to train via both brain and cardiac analysis. 
So using DC potential and HRV to understand your brain's energy level and autonomic nervous system balance allows you to use objective data on recovery and readiness that in turn helps you to truly individualize your training and thus optimize performance. Omega Wave also measures ECG from the V6 position, and this data can be used by the medical profession to check cardiac health on a frequent basis. The measurement only takes four minutes to perform and results are visualized in an intuitive way thanks to our Windows of Trainability concept. Omega Wave is used by hundreds of elite sport athletes, military and law enforcement agencies. They are also an official partner of the UFC Performance Institute. So to learn more about Omega Wave, visit their website, omegawave.com, or visit their social media channels. I've just got a note here about the, the COVID situation. I just want to bring it back to that. I know we've, we've touched on that a little bit. But what kind of effect has the last, I don't even know how many months it is, eight, seven could be 70 for, for what it feels like. Um, but what, what actual effect has that had on how people are going about things from a recruitment point of view? Is it Has it been the kind of top-level clubs that seem to be carrying as normal and that the, the bottom-level clubs are, uh, or the lower-level clubs are, are slowing down? Is there, a from, a, from, a, from the top end, like we've got these people but we can't really – ship them out so we've got to kind of see see the contracts out and do it slowly because obviously if you yeah. like arsenal did during lock during lockdown we're going to announce so many redundancies it doesn't look great from a, an organization perspective so how are you seeing clubs deal with covid it does vary and I, I, yeah i think what is that was true? A very general question. Sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> it's, 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 it's good. I think what we have seen, though, that will be true, irrespective of COVID, is whatever the crisis would be. Is that what is true? Is that the teams that are well run with good leadership have coped better than the ones who have got poor leadership and are poorly run. So that is that that has been true, and I think we've seen that through this. And there is. You know, the kind of old adage, never waste a crisis. This has given people uh, a chance or a moment when people can have a chance in what are often quite traditional environments to do things differently and to challenge the status quo. Because, you know, if you're not going to do it now, when are you going to? And I think there has been some positivity in, in, the, in the sense of, well, let's do it. Let's have a go. Let's have a go. Why not? Uh, and, a th- and so that kind of, it just kind of stuck with me, never waste a crisis, because I think it does mean that it's a time to reflect in a lot of sports when it's so fast paced and there's games every week and you're on the treadmill and you're in a very comfortable season to season environment. You know what you're doing in June, you know what you're doing in, you know, you you know, whereas this year you don't. And I mean, I don't feel too sorry. Sports relatively at the top level hasn't changed that much. If you look compared to some industries, if you work in the hospitality industry, you're like, yeah, you're fine in sport. You know, speaking to somebody yesterday, probably to the, the, you know the players are in the bubble. It's not um, actually the bubble, not just their own <laughs> bubble. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so it's you know they're not too bad, but I think it is an opportunity. And what we've seen some clubs being a bit more reflective, and we've grown the other parts of our business quite considerably too, because we were quite comfortable just delivering searches and delivering searches, and we've realised that what we love doing is the advisory people piece of really helping clubs think a bit in a bit more depth about what they're doing and, and where they're going. And then to the point before I, I, the development of people and people's potential is what 
probably I get out of bed for, you know, and what I enjoy the most. So we've grown that part of our, you know, we kind of in March, like, well, what, what would we regret not doing if, you know, if, if it's going to be six months, didn't think it'd be nine. Um, it's going to be a year probably. And, but what would we do? And we absolutely have done things differently. Um, so and so I think we're not, we're not alone. So that, that part of the business is putting someone in a club, in an organization, but then been there in an ongoing capacity to develop that person, work with the club where they need to develop leadership, technical skills, whatever it may be. Is that right? So the, the leadership piece is there's three part, there's three different parts to it. There's a one-on-one coaching piece. So we've got kind of a coaching mentoring part. So we've got people we work with as partners who to help mentor individuals. We've also got I know a business partner as a qualified coach. So we've got certain people that we're coaching. We've got kind of bespoke coaching with clubs of a kind of development of staff where they kind of go on it and we, we share some stuff of best practice across different areas. And then we have leadership forums where we invite people from across sport uh, onto it. And because and, uh, what we've realized is that a lot of people go into organizations, even the most senior people, the leadership forum came out of the last four or five years of us you know, scouring the globe to find the best people to place in roles and the work that goes into that. And then you place them and they just get left really to their own. And it's not a criticism really, because there's a lot to be done. You know, there's a lot of work that they need to do, but they don't get to develop because often if they're the more senior leaders, they're, they're lonely or they're isolated, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. And so what we've created is an opportunity across sports. So there's no potential conflict just to have a chat with somebody who's in the same position as you. And, you know, we've seen in lockdown, it's been great of, of people just going, Oh, did you, Oh, so glad to hear that happened to you because that's ha- that happened to me. And oh, you're doing it that way. Oh, brilliant! I didn't think of doing it that that way. And so, you know, that that kind of peer to peer learning, um, learn from each other's mistakes. Six heads are better than one kind of approach. And um, it's been nice to be kind of part of that. Uh, and I think it's so, the, it's the way forward actually. So is that just people that you've placed, or is that externals as well that you're bringing in as you know, extra expertise to join these groups? Is it just from clubs that you're working with, how does that piece so together from a business point of view? It was, I think we maybe placed one of the people in it. It's, it's um, it was just people that we knew in the set. It were people who were learners who wanted to be, you know, who we'd got to know quite well because it's the first one. I said, "This is what we're thinking," and they're like, "Yeah, we'd love to be a part of that." And so you never quite know, do you, how it's going to go? And then, um, and so we we. We, the people we chose were all open, curious, humble, willing to learn, and I guess trusted us as well to do it. So they didn't know each other. I think there was one by chance on the first uh, Zoom call we did. Oh, hi, you doing? Oh, you doing? <laughs> uh, but apart, apart from that one, there was no one. So it's something we'll roll out across. We'll probably do coaches next because I think coaches are the ones that maybe um, – and they were a mix of people of senior leaders. There's one from SNC that was just um, – and it's, I think – just getting that mix right is really important. There are people listening to this thinking, Dave's going around, he's meeting all these cool clubs who've got all these cool positions, he's contacting all these coaches, but where, where does he get the numbers for the coaches? Who does he actually go to? How, do they, how does he know who to go to? And more importantly, how can I be one of the people that that, that, that is on that list of people that, maybe contacted for roles so where yeah. do you i know this is giving away potentially giving away the secret no, 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 it's not it's not, it's not. <laughs> but, 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 where, but where do people go to be on that 
on that list of those considered. I think you know, to put some people's mind at rest, we say that we start every. It's not a kind of like we've got a list, and if you're not on it, you're not on it, and you, you know it's it's not like that. I think we spend a fair amount of time. We do start from scratch, everyone. Of course, there are people that you know um, when you start sales, but that's why when you look at kind of a brief that you write with the club and you help shape that, each one is different. So, yeah, we, we spend time to, to get to know the club, to get to know the role, to, to agree what's the most important things. And then there will, however, be a minimum requirement, whether it's a sport experience, whether it's a number of years of doing a role. You know, there, there, there will be something that you'll have to – you know, cut it down somewhere to decide what, you know, what the market is. And you know, how do you get on there? Uh, I, it's difficult to, <laughs> to generalize, but, you know, I'm, a lot of people do call us up though. And it, it's a funny one because we're not, we don't advertise roles. So we're not, uh, we're a search firm. So we do go and tap people on the shoulder and we, but we still, having said that, you still need to know a lot of people in the market. So we still spend quite a lot of time going to events, you know, checking what people are saying on social media, which isn't always good, by the way. And We'll come to that. Uh, and, you know, we would have done a big search, a physical performance role, and we would have, you know, I would have looked at your, see who'd been on your podcast and go, oh, there, and, and ended up listening to, to them and then speaking to them. And, you know, so there's a lot of ways you can do desk-based research. You do source extensively so you get to know very senior people and the best people are often associated with other good people so that's a really good way to you know we're not true experts we're not on the ground every day coaching so you need to you know you triangulate effectively you go from desk space you go from sources you go from your own interviews and you know if, you, if you're on your way through a career and, and also from desk space research whether it's linkedin whether it's google whether it's uh, club websites whether it's your own personal profile out there, you do you can get a lot of information more than people realise actually. So people need to be careful, and so yeah. And I think how do you get on it? You know, just just send a polite message saying can we have a chat, and that's typically <laughs> the way. You know, yeah. And we want people who are ambitious and want to reach their potential to to do well. You know, that's all we want really. And um, you know, and we do. And of course, we haven't got all a huge amount of time to speak to everyone of course we don't but we'll do our best to, to have a chat to to let you know and we, you know, there won't be that many roles that we actually end up recruiting for you know um but yeah we're still happy to have a chat you know <laughs> Let, let's chat around this social media thing because it's what we spoke about a couple of weeks ago when we were yeah. discussing we we're discussing this so the first place you go like anyone goes when they're trying to find someone's name who works at a certain club same thing when you when you're doing a search you're going to yeah. go on twitter instagram see what people are see what people are writing go on podcast listen to podcasts read blogs whatever it may be to get a feel yeah. of these feel for these people i'd be interested to see some of the have people been ruled out because of social media presence what they've been how oh, yeah. they've been coming across yeah okay of course, absolutely of course and it's really naive to think that people wouldn't be as we've seen you know if you were to say what's the most important trait in a kind of potential leader or in the better people i'd put self-awareness pretty high and i think you know if you don't realize the impact it's having on you of you calling somebody out or sort of complaining or taking a view even if you're right it doesn't really matter if you if you're open to criticizing somebody online 
you've got to realize that if you're going to do it publicly, there's every chance you're doing it privately too. So, yeah, of course it is. I'm not saying it definitely does. And I think we'd always try and give benefit of the doubt to if there's one thing that some, somebody did. You know, and I think people get ruled out really quickly. So you've got to be careful and you've got to try and take it in context. But yeah, of course, I mean, when you've got to narrow it down to only one role and one person will get a role, if there's a reason to rule people out, you actually do need some. So, so, so yeah, big absolutely. Poll, big poll, big poll, yeah. few jobs. Yeah. You yeah. need to check someone off with yeah. a few of abusive, I mean, abusive tweets. Well, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. And I just think if we're looking at the softer skills and if self-awareness and emotional intelligence is are two of them, there's some people who are clearly showing a lack of both of those things. Um, and not that there's anything wrong with being passionate. You know, there's a, a, I guess any strength overplay can be a weakness. So it doesn't mean that you can't, you know, tame that or, or rein it in a bit. But And we want passionate people who care. You know, people who care are, is also massively important. But yeah, I, I think it, to the direct question, does it rule people out? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Just thinking about different sports, and you obviously work across different sports. And yeah. probably... 10 years ago, if you worked in football, you were staying in football. If you worked in rugby, you were staying in rugby. That's changing. People are moving from rugby to football, football to rugby, Olympic sports, yes, all that kind of stuff. Where do you see the land lie when it comes to when it comes to that? Is that still happening? Are people still very or even more um, happier to, to look outside of their outside of their sport? And is that a positive thing? Could that be seen as a potential negative thing? What's what's your feeling? What's your feeling with that? Yeah, I mean, from my point of view, from our point of view and the way we look at it, it's overwhelmingly positive. If you've got people who are curious, who want to learn, who are willing to look outside of their, call it their comfort zone or their specific sport, not to say that um, somebody who's been at a club for 10 years hasn't got a real breadth of experience and diversity of understanding of, of different people and different environments but you know 10 years experience is very different to you know one year 10 times and i think you know we do look when you look at kind of if you're to look at kind of like we call it a comb now so you've got more generalisms in your in your kind of in the teeth and then you've got the overarching um kind of I guess handle would be the softer skills and the and the, the leadership traits, but we'd also look at kind of breadth of experience and and the you know high performance culture, the environment really does dictate behavior. And I think the more that you can be in, the better. So if you go from if you look at somebody like a, a, a Bryce Kavanagh who we you know placed at the FA, he would have gone from when we first looked at his found his profile and he went on the long list. I know he got the role, so this is maybe hindsight. But you kind of you look at him and you go, he has gone from Aussie rules to West Indies cricket to Munster rugby. Now, I can't think of well, specifically Munster and West Indies cricket, two more different environments. And I would say for anybody going through, so I would imagine he'd have a quite an interesting balance view and he'd be fairly reflective, and he is. Um, and I think early on in your career, if you can, you know, it's difficult, I guess, when you get a bit older and you have families, but if you can go and experience a different environment, a different sport, maybe a different culture, I realize that there are different ways to do things. Cause I think people do get set in a certain way of doing stuff. Yeah. And especially, you know, football gets a bit of criticism wrongly. I think all sports are, a lot of other sports are, are as bad um, of this is the way we do things. 
you know. And I look at just my experience of playing rugby in the Premiership in England, and then going to Ireland, and it being so different. I mean, and I was so arrogant that we did it the right way in England. And then you go to Ireland and you realise, oh, this, and it worked better for me there. And you're like, and I think that's absolutely true of a practitioner. And if you're planning a career, um, and I think you absolutely should, you know, um, a lot of people don't and they're happy with that and that's fine. But, um, you know, you need to go on a journey and that's an actual journey <laughs> um, to, to develop those skills. And you don't have to, of course you don't. Um, but yeah, we'd be big, big advocates for people you know, trying their hand at different things. And, and it does stand out on people's CVs if it's a, a you know, a, as a starting point. How do people go about planning a career? What would be the first, what would be the first step? Have you seen, have you seen people do that really positively or really well yeah. in the past? Yeah, I think, I guess if you look at kind of closer to the start, I think one of the keys is not to specialize too early or not to be, of course, you can have a specialism, but don't be wedded to, say, one philosophy or one sport or one person. I mean, you want mentors and you want people that you can call on and to get advice from. And there, you'll have people who are further ahead of your career that you want to maybe emulate or certain traits that you want to pick up. But don't be too rigid in kind of in that. And I think and you can in, early in your career, there's nothing wrong. You know, there's nothing wrong with moving around a bit if you can explain why you know, we get. And it happens quite a lot is that you like, I've been here for one year and I hate it, but I know it'll look bad on my CV if I don't stay here for two. And I'm like, I promise you, if you stay here for two, it'll look much worse <laughs> than if you leave because you clearly hate it and you yeah. don't, and you know. And so there's nothing wrong. I mean, of course, if somebody's been for 10 years and they've been in every role for one. <laughs> in, <laughs> issue. You know, yeah, issue, exactly. It's different. But I think if somebody's curious and open and explains, you know, there's nothing wrong with being ambitious too. You know, players are, and from our experience, the SSC guys, the, the senior performance people, the physio, they're just as ambitious and they're in the performance space too. And there's nothing wrong with that and there's nothing wrong with showing it. Um, and, and being open about it. You know, some people will call us and say, I'm quite happy here. Uh, I'm more than happy here to stay for a bit longer, but I know that for my career to develop, I probably need to think about my next step. And the, the gap I have is I haven't done this and I haven't done it in this environment. So they're proactive about it. They're aware of their weaknesses and they're quite, you know, they're quite humble. They, they, they know that they haven't got all the answers. So, um, yeah. Self-awareness again. Yeah. Knowing yeah. what you don't know and yeah. know where the gap is. And the fact is the further you go, the more senior you get, the less you realize you do know, you know, there's more certainty when you're further down. And I think, you know, I happened to have a conversation yesterday with somebody who would be a senior kind of physical performance uh, guy who's gravitated into leadership role. He's worked across different geographies and, and he, it was just really nice. And that was one of those conversations of him calling and going, what do you think? And you know, th this guy is outstanding. Yeah, and I know he is because I know some of the athletes, these coaches, it happened. And you're like, but he was totally willing to learn and he was curious about for some reason what I had to say, you know, <laughs> uh, but, and it's just, so it's just really interesting. The best people that tend to be like that is they want to learn and they don't pretend to have all the answers. Um, and I think if you can have that as a philosophy, I think there's a balance of you, know, you want to, you kind of, you want to contribute as much as you learn and you want to learn as much as you contribute. There's kind of, there's a balance there, which is, there's an inevitable tension, but 
Um, yeah. Yeah. So just coming on to wages, salaries, mm. always a always a contentious issue in the yeah. performance performance coaching world. So there's 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 multiple reasons why people think that performance coaches aren't remunerated how they should be, whether that be supply versus demand, whether that be lack of understanding from administration, uh, an inability to put a be objective of whether someone's good or not. What's your what's your view from coming from the other other side? Like I mentioned right at the start, coming from the organisation side, hmm. why do you, why do you think that is from from your experience and the people you've spoken to? It's tough, isn't it? Uh, and it does seem unfair at a certain level. I think I guess there is a kind of certain supply and demand issue in that there's plenty of people who are willing to take a job for less to get a chance. And, you know, good for them. And, and fair enough. I think there's, it's really interesting. We had a chat about this today, actually, because, you know, we'd had a chat a couple of weeks ago and it's something that does come up. And I think it's something that's mentioned quite a lot. Uh, and people are very passionate about this space and they'd be possibly open um, to, to, to not be paid what they deserve or what they feel they deserve. But there is maybe an onus also on the industry to maybe how to put this politely or or, conc- or concisely is that the people who pay you they don't understand the impact they have that you have okay um and if they did they pay you more so how often do you actually engage with the commercial arm or the business arm to explain that um and that might be not possible but actually it is possible um and you know one of the roles that we've actually led on is there's very rarely a voice on the board for performance people. There's very rarely anybody who's got any background in it. We did a role recently for a premiership rugby team of a non-exec board director, a board member, sorry, with a performance background to help people understand the impact people have. And I think, it, you know, it's dis- disgraceful is a strong word, but it, it's shocking the disparity between coaches and some of the other performance staff when arguably the physical performance staff or, or whatever it might be will have a bigger impact on performance than some of the coaches. And yet the disparity in, in pay um, is huge. And so I'd say that um, there might be something that needs to be done within the industry to fight for that bit. It, you know, Ultimately, it lacks champions at the top level. Um, and equally, there's a responsibility partly, and I don't want to sound please don't cut this. So this is the only thing that I say, <laughs> but I think, <laughs> I think there is, we have seen a lot of people who are just grateful for having the, for, for doing something that they love. And so people are almost accepting of less and people are passionate about the space. And yeah. There's a, there's a supply issue and maybe somebody, there's always somebody who's willing to do it for less, but I'm amazed how often we've seen a situation where, you know, people, um, will say they have a fixed budget, but when you go back with an argument of why somebody should be paid more, it can be it can move and people have found it. And so it's it's similar to, uh, I guess it is a similar issue to the to point around mo- people moving into consult- consultancy space um, and suddenly having to be their own CEO of their own business. You know, people don't do it that well. I'm not saying that, funny enough, some of them, some people do do it very well and you, you get people who suddenly are, are getting paid 20 times more than the practitioner one below them and yet they're, they're, there's an onus on those people to pull up the rest of them 
below, you know, and I think pe- more people should do that really. Um, so I'm not, I, I don't know. I'm just reflecting. I don't, that's not a, a direct answer, but um, it's not a simple issue. But I think that more representation of a performance person on a board could be something of somebody just really understanding the disparity between certain coaching and, and some of these performance functions is wrong, arguably. Um, so yeah, as I say, don't don't cut that to make that one statement look uh, too controversial. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> already been done. Already noted. <laughs> Wonder what um, <laughs> So, in terms of the, the the people on the ground who are trying to have influence up the mm. chain to the, like you say, the commercial business side of the of the organisation, what would be your tactic, or what would be your advice for? What would be the tactic you would advise? There we go. What would be the tactic that you would advise for people to do that effectively? Have you seen again? Have you seen that been done well in the past? Yeah, I'm not saying you should necessarily go to the top to do that. I think there's probably a kind of not a chain of command as such, but there's a there's probably a a direct report that you can go to, or there's a um, there's a head of function, there's a performance director, director of football, rugby, cricket, whatever it might be, that you can go and have the conversation with. And you can do your research and you can plan it. Uh, and I guess this does kind of rely on you being good at your job. So I, don't, <laughs> I think, <laughs> yeah. you know, you still need to add value and you still, um, you know, there's a, a German, I think it's a German phrase of like, you're always, you're always the apprentice in your first company. So if you, some, unfortunately, people who stay somewhere for a long time are underpaid. It's a fact across all industries. So Maybe players as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you might have to move, and if you don't want to, there's a reality there. Um, and I think, but knowing your your value, knowing your worth, um, knowing the argument that you have for wanting to be paid more is important. As I say, you, you, I mean, I, I see quite a lot of people talking about it a lot. Um, you know, it does seem an issue that's out there all the time and i wonder how proactive people are doing about changing it and, and you know it's quite easy just to complain um and it's really tough I, I kind of i can't believe sometimes what people get paid and 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 what worse than that you speak to somebody and you're just like this person's amazing he, he or he or she she you know they've worked post-university they've got masters they've you know, they spent two years here, three years here. They've had a real impact, and they're still on thirty grand. And you're like, that doesn't seem that seems wrong. But equally, some of those people are really happy. You know, so pay isn't everything. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't have the answer I, yeah. cl- clearly. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> um, so circling back, probably one of the last things we'll, we'll chat about before I let go, let you get on with your evening. Them, them leadership. Make off to start in forty-five minutes. So got to. Uh, oh, does it? Okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll yeah. round up. Yeah. Don't worry. <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> so then, leadership management um, skills that you mentioned at the start, the the non-technical, are they? And this is something that came up ages ago in the podcast that I'm that I'm thinking about. I can't remember who, but are they? Are they teachable? Can you learn them? Is it something that's inbuilt? You either a leader or you're not. If they are. Where would you direct people to actually develop them skills, which clearly are horrendously important because they're the six above the the three technical that people yeah. need to be need to be ticking to get on the magic list 
that we spoke mm. about earlier. <laughs> it's not a magic it's list. It's not even it. a list. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the mo- I guess the first thing is they're absolutely learnable and teachable. And yes, way more people can be leaders than are. Not that everybody can. You know, that's a myth. Of course they can't. And not everybody wants to be either. And so, and it's totally fine if you don't, if you're brilliant at a certain skill and you love doing it, just keep doing it. Don't feel the need to gravitate. It's the classic best salesman moving to sales director and just being awful at it. So um, you know, that's so common. Um, and equally, there are people who it's not completely um, learnable and teachable. There are some people who do have a more natural style and, and are more naturally um, gifted at kind of being a leader i believe that would be the case too if you look at a lot of the literature that but what's come out of the academic literature which only started on leadership really in the 60s um it's really a very new thing and it's developed hugely from really initially coming from management and then kind of different types and i think there's a much more thing about authentic leadership now and about the reality that you can be yourself and it's funny, I'm actually doing an MBA at the moment, and I'd always thought of leaders as being leaders of a team. And actually, that's only one type of leadership. The big, the most important thing to start with is about leading yourself and about it's self-awareness again, but it's about thinking about yourself and about what type of person that you are. And you know, the journey that kind of I've been on on that is that you realize that, and this has kind of hit me like a sledgehammer really, but the way you see, the way people perceive you is not how you perceive yourself. And just that that understanding of that, that kind of paradigm shift in your thinking is massive. And as soon as you recognize that, you can do something about it. And you know, to our point that you know, no one's more than 80% fit, simply the act of trying to get better makes you better anyway. And I think, yeah, and we see it all the time, the people who are curious, who ask questions, who want to get better, who want to you know find out more. Um, it, it's actually really... A, uh, infectious, you know. If you see people like that, um, you want to kind of follow them. And that, you know, one of the things is that leadership inevitably is one of the six, but followership is too. So, being the type of person that somebody to create that followership in others of somebody who wants to follow, you know, someone like a Gareth Southgate, I think, would be an outstanding example of that. You know, um, it's not just about him; it's about people wanting to follow him, and. Yeah, you have your own style, and I think, and you can you're constantly learning about that. You know, you, it's an evolution, and, and um, you're constantly getting to know yourself. And with more experience, doesn't necessarily mean you're better the older you become, but the more mature you get, the better. Um, the second part of that question was, where do you go to get it? Uh, I mean, the great thing now, um, and partly, it's, you know, it's quite good for us, is that education is changing. There is an opportunity now to do things online in a much more agile way. You know, if you look at the you know, look at TED Talks, for example, and you look at YouTube, you can actually, you know, if you want to, um, I'm doing an MBA, but you look at a lot of the work, you can you can still find stuff out. You can still put, get groups together who can, you can do more bite-sized uh, things now. There's a whole, there's a ton of stuff. I can't remember the names now, but we can get free online courses called Moves or something. And so you get, um, yeah, there's tons of stuff you can do. Um, and it's the biggest gap in sport, leadership. You know, if you look at people talk about culture a lot, people talk about kind of strategy and planning and and talent and and all the different, and they'll go into specialisms. They'll go into, oh no, it's, 
you need this latest gadget or you need you know this style of play or from our experience the thing that separates the best from the rest is the teams that are the best led when it matters when the pressure comes on um they kind of keep things tight and make sure people are aligned to what really matters and and the great thing is is this is stuff that people can learn like we've got no, no doubt about that we've seen people develop um hugely over the time that we've been doing this for what seven years um so i'd be very optimistic in that is that way more people um not everybody can be the top leader but you can lead from anywhere um cool last question and this comes from from the the, the twitter post that i put out and a really interesting one about agents yeah about agents branching out from players to technical coaches coming down to the the, the more rounded support around that head coach and trying to do potentially do what you do and get them get them jobs is that mm. something that you're seeing more of is that a trend that's that's very visible or is that something that's coming to come down the track a bit more in the future it's actually not no we're not okay. we're, um we are seeing some people have them you know we did a role ahead of snc role last year and somebody did have an agent but the reality is is that in the way we work if they're going to use a certain I'm not saying that you shouldn't have one because there might those people might be able to um, get opportunities for you that don't get advertised because they know people within the club. So I'm not saying don't have one, but the way we work is we'll work with the club and they'll say, this is what we want and they'll pay us. And then we'll go into the market and speak to those people directly. So there is no need, you know, the role of the agent is kind of gone because we're doing that role for them. You know, we're the ones and we're doing it against the criteria that they've decided with us. So we get the classic thing and it would happen with coaching. You know, coaches have agents and I guess some of the better ones would recognize the role that we will play and that we, there's a classic thing of like, yeah, I've got four, four managers, four head coaches. They're all a perfect fit. And we're like, well, they're obviously not. <laughs> they're not all the same. And also, how do you know? Because you don't know what the brief is because we haven't, told anybody yet and i think there is a, a role to play there um i'm not saying there's not a role for agents but in the performance space um i question exactly how they they might be able to help get you opportunities that you're not aware of because clearly the role that we have not that many people would use headhunters we clearly see, think there's a huge value in it <laughs> and and undoubtedly that there is it's in every other industry in the world you know, there's a reason why it exists, um, but some people might do it directly. But no, we haven't seen it grow particularly. Um, occasionally, there might be somebody who goes, you know what, I'm not getting any luck. I might just get an agent to see if they can find me something. And, you know, that's a personal choice and a, arguably the right one for some people if they if they think that person can connect them with opportunities. But unlike players, you can actually just contact clubs yourself, um, you know. But if, that, if those people can get to places quicker, um, it could make sense. The difficulty is when we, um, you might have a situation and we have had it where they say, don't talk to um, my uh, client about salary or about, and I said, well, actually, my client is the club. So I am going to talk to him about salary because it's my job. Um, I appreciate you have a job to do too, but it can't get in the middle of what we do. Um, or, or it can you're going to have to tell your client that he won't be on the shortlist. So it's kind of your choice. That sounds a bit 
um, aggressive, but that's that, that's kind of where it's a little bit different to players. Um, and coaches is the grey area, but I'm not saying not to have one, but we're not saying it grow particularly. Yeah. Cool. I think that answered that. Great. Thank you very much. We're now well an hour and ten in. Great. Plenty of time for Bake Off. But anyone, yeah, plenty that, of time, any, yeah. anyone that doesn't, uh, sorry, anyone that does want to um, reach out and have a chat or get to know more about what you do, where's, yeah. the, best, where's the best places? So we've got, in fact, we'll have a new website by the time I think you put this out. So you can connect through that. You kind of, you know, speak to a partner or connect with a partner. LinkedIn and Twitter, I'm on. Um, so, yeah, that I'll be, I'm probably on LinkedIn more than, but yeah, website or LinkedIn. Perfect. Well, thank you very much. Stick around. Stick around. We'll have a little chat after before I let you go for Bake Off. Great. Um, thank thank, you, thank very you very much. much. Thank you for your time. And actually, thank you for, for all that you've done. I think you're doing a great job with this, genuinely. Um, so, yeah, fair play. It's been great. And thank you. I mean, it's only taken you seven years or whatever to get me on, but that's, you know, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, thanks, mate. I appreciate the kind words. Um, yeah, it's my pleasure. It's good, it's good to speak to people like yourself. So thank you very cool. much. Cheers. And we'll, uh, we'll chat. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. 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 Thanks for tuning in to episode 322 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So big thanks to David for coming on. Like I said at the start, it's been one that I've wanted to line up for a long time and get this perspective of the industry from someone coming at it from a recruitment and employer side rather than a coach employee side. So also big thanks to Hawking Dynamics, I Measure You, Athlete Monitoring, Omega Wave and Output Sports for sponsoring this episode today. The podcast could not run its current form without these guys, so I really, really appreciate their support. Also appreciate your support for tuning in. Hope you got something from this conversation and I will chat to you next week.